step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Sword of Surtur. The dwarves called it Elder Stall. There are many who seek this weapon. For with it, even the weak can rise up against Jotunheim. I am Thor, son of Odin. There is a test of manhood for young warriors. The test is not in finding the Sword of Surtur, but in looking for it. He is nearing the age of adulthood. He has yet to arrive despite what he believes. There will be no leaving Asgard. Do you need something, brother? Loki, how is your magic? We're royalty. We're not equipped to handle adventure. I cannot take another step. Don't move. It's magnificent. I've never felt such power. We have intruders! Go, go, go! Elder Stahl has been found. By whom? The sons of Odin. Prepare my army. This has moved beyond a harmless quest. Give them no quarter, lads! That sword has taken its last life. Not as long as the House of Odin still stands! Chama people, and welcome to our 213th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and wonderful friend, the one and only Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Ah, uh, you know me. I can't complain. The fall weather has finally started. I hate cold weather, but I get why everybody enjoys it. The pumpkin spice is a flying here in the states, so it's all good. Awesome, yes, and of course, scary season is uh, right around the corner. I suppose Halloween is is about a week away, give or take, and uh, that also means you know not to make it all about yours truly. It's going to be my birthday soon, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. I mean, folks keep telling me, "Aren't you kind of uh, thinking that you're getting old?" I'm like. Yeah, but, you know, that kind of happens to everybody, so I'm going to be hitting the good old 41 
in about a week's time then not this saturday but next or right next not this sunday but next so yeah definitely some some uh, some things to look forward to and like you said autumn has finally arrived over here in italy too and i'm kind of happy about that i was kind of getting a little bit sick i have to be honest of this extended summer or cruel summer as taylor swift would say so uh, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm happy i'm happy that uh that, yeah it's a little bit cooler and we kind of can enjoy that but speaking of course of colder weather which i think is kind of apt for today because today we are discussing thor tales of asgard from 2011 this was directed by sam liu the screenplay was by Greg Johnson and Craig Kyle, while the score was by Guy Michael Moore. And this was the final animated Marvel T Marvel movie, of course, produced by Lionsgate. They haven't made any since then. So uh, this kind of has a note of finality to it. So when it came to this last Marvel animated movie, Keith, what did you make of Thor Tales of Asgard? I was kind of underwhelmed. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I've watched it once before and I watched it again for, you know, our recording and it kind of brought up all those same memories. It's not, it's a bad story. It's not that it's bad pacing. It was just very average for a lack of a better term. The, the art style was good. The cast that they had for playing each one of these characters, perfectly fine. The writing was decent, but it just was very underwhelming because there's, they were younger versions of themselves, so you know that there's no real repercussions for this story, if that makes any sense. It's not like, you know, this was the the day before Odin lost an arm or Odin dies or Thor loses a big toe or something crazy like that. No, this is just literally like Tuesday in Asgard. Thor does dumb shit. You're like, all right, something different. So it almost feels like a filler movie or a filler episode in a season of a TV show where they just didn't know what to do. And you know, you kind of see the characters all grow and mature, but at the same time, they're very much the young versions of themselves. And you know that in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't have a very large um, repercussion in the Thor, you know, annals. Uh, I will say it was nice to see the younger versions of them before they, you know, Thor got his hammer and Odin lost his eye. Spoilers. Um and you can kind of start to see the worm turn, no pun intended, with Loki, because up until this point, he was very much still kind of like on the fence. He was mischievous, but he wasn't necessarily um, going down the evil or destructive path as he tends to lean toward at the end of this one. So it it shows you their paths to where they end up. So I will say it's productive. But again, um, the big bad was very forgettable. It was very like, oh, that's how it ended? Cool. All right. Good. Good story. And then you just kind of move on. But this also, this, um, you know, your point, your, the way you saw this or impressions on this may be colored by the fact that I know you're not a big fan of prequels. Could it also be maybe prequel fatigue, if you will? Because as I mentioned before, I know you're not a fan when prequels show their faces. Prequel-itis, as I call it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a little bit. But at the same time. You know, if this was like where he gained his hammer, like, all right, cool. I can see what triggered the hammer. You know, here it's all about the sword and the dark elves. Spoilers again. So like a lot of these characters they introduce, you've never seen before. So, you know, it's one of the one of two things. They're either A, the bad guy or B, they're going to die. In this case, both happened. So <laughs> it, it was just very much since, you know, I know enough past this, it's a little little prequel itis 
but at the same time, just kind of like average writing because mm. again, you, you know how this ends or yeah. you don't necessarily know until it ends, but like when it does end, you're just like, Oh, it's over. Okay. Mm. Next. <laughs> well, I mean, I, in fact, I almost wondered when I watched this, whether Lionsgate and everybody behind these, these projects knew this was going to be their last movie. And it kind of doesn't feel that way because You'd think that if had it had they known maybe this was going to be the last one they were going to do, it might they probably wanted to have end on a bang and something maybe more grandiose. Here it seems like yeah we're doing making a Thor prequel if you will, and we'll probably do some more movies down the line, maybe developing. Well, heck, this could have almost been a spinoff for a series of should we say a young Thor TV show where we you know like we had young Hercules or young Indiana Jones, and here it's like we could maybe do a whole. TV show on young Thor before he becomes the, the, the thunder God we know and love. And uh, I mean, I will say when it came to this one, I thought the subtitle to this, this, um, the, the actual title of this movie, Thor Tales of Asgard could have been, or how the God of thunder pissed off the nine realms, because that's yeah, pretty right. much what, exactly. That's pretty much what this movie is. It's basically because of Thor making a, a bit of, you know, making a blunder, literally almost causes there to be a major war and not just between two realms. He basically pisses off almost every realm that he visits. And Correct. so you're like, wow, okay. Uh, I guess that's what it's all about. I, I like the fact about this movie that we did get to somewhat visit some of the, some of the nine realms where of course, mm -hmm. you know, between um, the frost giants and the, the Valkyries and, uh, you know, where the Dark Elves lived and such. So that was kind of cool that it lived up to its title, as in we got to learn more about these nine realms and also got a little bit of Norse mythology in there for good measure, if you will, you know, take it, if you will, for being accurate or not. But like, for example, when it came to uh, Serta and, and Odin and how, you know, that, that battle played off and we got some of the uh, mythological weapons, like especially uh, Gugnir, Odin's spear, um, Surtur's sword and stuff. So that was cool. I enjoyed it. When it comes to prequels, there are some that I actually enjoy because I am kind of one of those guys who kind of likes to see how we got to a certain place and what were the events that turned certain characters into who they are today and we got that to a certain extent i think with this film especially with thor and loki but when it came to the other characters you were kind of like okay so um what happened to everybody else you know which was because uh, right. everybody else remains somewhat unchanged the warriors three pretty much remain who they've always been by the end of the movie and in the future when we see them um the valkyries that was an odd one but we'll get to it and then, of yes. course, you know, when, when I saw uh, the Dark Elf, when I saw Olgrim, the last surviving Dark Elf, I'm like, yeah, I have a feeling he's not going to be sticking around because I don't remember a Dark Elf as, as Odin's advisor. So I have a feeling he's gone by the end of this movie. And that was the case. But that said, I, I thought it was a decent film. Was it great? No, it was it was good enough. I, I did enjoy watching it because I suppose being a big fan of Norse mythology, it was kind of cool to revisit things that I had read about as a kid many years ago. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this story, and I remember this, and I remember that. So that, that was kind of fun. But uh, for the most part, it really was our um, – the, the whole story is around the fact that Thor makes a major mistake and almost causes, if you will, an epic war. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I agree with you that if they had announced this as a trilogy, like, hey, this is going to be Thor the Young, and then you have him a little bit older, then you get to the Thor where we know in the movies or, you know, live action Thor, the Hemsworth Thor, I totally would have been on board with that. It just seemed like this was like, we wanted to come out with a character for, or come out with a movie for all the core characters of the Avengers, and we'll just kind of see what happens. Um, and I, I do agree with you that this could have been like a young Hercules or, you know, Thor, the early years or whatever, you know, spin you want to put on it. And I would have been all aboard for that. If again, if they had announced like, Oh, this is going to be a series, a trilogy, whatever the case may be. I just, I feel like they left a lot of meat on that table because like you said, he basically almost starts world war three with all the realms because he's very naive to the world. He has lived such a sheltered life. He just assumes I'm going to go out into the world and it's going to be fine and nothing's going to happen. And literally the first minute he's outside of um, Asgard, he damn near blows everything up or, you know, causes a, a bar fight, kills a couple of giant, like just one bad decision after another. And this kind of goes to sh- show his character growing and developing over time. So I will give him a, a little credit, but yeah, it was very like, eh? fair enough. You know, so, uh, so I, I, I kind of agree with when you say like, it's kind of a middle, middle of the path kind of film, but uh, by and large it was, it was enjoyable enough. So uh, I guess looking, let's start by getting to our characters on the board, starting off by looking at our young Asgardian princes and our budding Valkyrie. We have, of course, Matt Wolf as Thor, Rick Gomez as Loki, and Tara Strong, yes, of course, Miss Minutes herself, as Sif. So what did you make of these three, Keith? I actually liked all three of them as their you know, corresponding characters. I think Thor's written well enough that he's arrogant or i'm gonna say like that naive kind of arrogant he thinks that you know he's perfect and again he's never left asgard so he doesn't have that you know real world experience so he's kind of naive to that same thing with loki and and sif is the only one to kind of call him out on his shenanigans where she's like yeah you beat the group in the beginning because they literally handed you your sword and his excuse is the handle was slippery which was kind of funny if you think about it, because you know it's literally designed not to slip out of said hand. Um, and the fact that he does try to go to his father and be like, "Listen, I want to, you know, go on an adventure with everybody," and the dad kind of brushes him off. You know, Odin being Odin brushes him off. Um, and then you kind of start to see the sparks. You see Loki in his little mischievousness, and then when they go to uh, Jotunheim, and he's in the Frost Realm, and he's kind of realizing like something's a little off and he is not as impacted by the frost realm as the rest of this group is that you kind of start to see the wheels turning in his head. And again, you see the sparks and this was a a great starting point for potential down the line that again, we just never really see. I, I think that based on how the characters were written, how each one of them portrayed it, you know, Rick Gomez plays a really good Loki. He was very convincing. Same thing with Tara playing Sif. Very convincing. All of them were very convincing for their parts, considering that they're, you know, older individuals playing young, youngish Asgardians. Granted, in Asgard time, I think they're like a thousand years old and they're barely out of their twenties. So it's okay. 
you know, so I, I think it, it was, it, they were, it was done very good, you know, done very good. Well, I swear I can English sometimes. Um, they were written very well and they were based on the characters, how they were written and portrayed. They did a very good job. Yeah. Cause if I, if memory serves, Matt Wolf actually voices Thor as an adult as well. So I guess I they kept so. the same actor. And um, cause yeah, cause I believe we'd encountered Matt when we'd done one of our ultimate Avengers films. Mm. And, and I think Matt was voicing Thor as well in that, in, in those incarnations. I agree. You know, what's very strange. This kind of played out like a Disney movie to me in the sense kind of sort of yes. <laughs> in the sense Thor is like a Disney princess. In the sense that he has the same wants and needs that a Disney princess has. As in, you know, I want to see what's out there. I live a very sheltered life. I'm part of royalty. I have very parents who are very pampering and kind of oppressive and won't let me live my life. I was almost expecting him to burst into song. Looking at his oh my reflection. God, that would have been amazing if that happened. But I want to be a warrior and something like that, you know. It, it seemed that I was like, this could be a Disney movie because or a musical, literally, because like I said, it's and no surprise Thor is royalty. And it's and you very much have that relationship between Thor and Odin that you have with Disney princesses and their fathers. So I was like, sure. wow. <laughs> I, uh, I I can see where they're going with this because that's the whole thing about Thor is he wants to, to, I think he's kind of getting sick of, you know, literally le letting the Einherjahr, letting him win because he, he literally never has to do anything about it because his father wants to keep him sheltered because he's like, you know, you're a young prince and there's, you know, you have to leave the fighting to the soldiers. You are not a warrior. We, that's why we have an army. You're not supposed to be to fight just yet. Or maybe he's just waiting for him to It's like when you're older, you can go and fight. But this is not the time. So he's super sheltered, like you said, and super naive. And so he has that desire to go to visit the world outside at the Asgardian Wars. And obviously, I suppose, having heard all these great tales, he wants to see what it's all about. And of course, he decides to take on one of the greatest challenges ever, i.e. retrieve Surtur's sword. It's like, okay, what are you going to do? Not start out small. I'm going to start out epic and get Surtur's sword. So I'm like, okay, fair enough. Uh, dream big, Thor, dream big. So uh, very, he, he does those things. So I like that about him. And Loki is very much... I wouldn't say his sidekick, but they're very much like two like two adventuring brothers. At first, Loki's kind sure. of you know, studying magic with a young enchantress and kind of trying to hone his own skills. And he's like, okay, bro, let's go and do this together and see what happens. He's a little bit loath at first to go, but then eventually he's like, okay, let's go see what happens. Because he's, he's kind of like almost trying to be Thor's, I guess, uh, a set of conscience, if you was like, this is not a good idea. We're totally inexperienced. What the hell are we doing? But okay, if you really want to go, let's go. And so and so off they go. Yeah, I will agree. You do see some of that bravado that Thor and that would would have in later years. And I am the best. You know, I am a warrior. Ha ha! And everything else. And this very much comes out with his relationship with Sif, who I can't blame for being for for treating Thor the way she does because she's like this is kind of an arrogant prince. Who thinks he's uh, you know the best thing since sliced bread, and he's kind of almost you know and obviously maybe expects me to fawn over him when I'm not interested at this point, and she also wants to live her life and sees I guess the Valkyries as being her calling at first, but then obviously as the movie progresses, she's like okay this isn't for me, and so she comes back to Asgard, but. Uh, she's kind of, she's very much, uh, I liked, I appreciated the, the Sith character because she's a very strong 
young woman even here. And so we can see the seeds of what Sif would then become, because if memory serves, she then she then joins the Warriors three as um, as she gets older. And I believe in the comics actually does become a Valkyrie eventually. Well, I could be wrong on that, but I believe she does. I think eventually she does. And I, I do like the fact that we finally got to see the Valkyries kind of in their own world for lack of a better term um doing their own thing and kind of seeing them because most of the time you see them in any thor based movie or show or iteration it's they come in at the last minute to do something so you don't really know you know what's going on i mean granted we did get to see you know valkyrie and thor love and thunder and you know and um ragnarok but it, she was the only one and the only thing the only time you got to see her people was in a flashback with Hela. So yeah. this was nice to kind of see them training. And they are very much um, a Amazonian inspired type of um, mentality. And mm. I appreciate that. I respect that a hundred percent. And I like the fact that we got to see that because you always hear about it in tales like, Oh, the Valkyries, this, the Valkyries, that you get to see them and they're a pretty badass in person. Oh, I totally agree with you. Exactly. And, uh, um, and I have a few thoughts about the Valkyries when we get to them. Indeed, when exactly. it came to, when it came to Loki, there was an in interesting, um, uh, to finish up the point on Loki there, there was an interesting evolution to the character because, you know, as we mentioned before, he's kind of trying to learn his magic tricks and we kind of see him do a little bit of that on their adventures through the nine realms. But then, of course, when, when we get to the, the big climax moment, of course, uh, where Olgrim has the, has Surtur's sword and Thor shows compassion rather than killing him. It's Loki who obliterates him. I think that's definitely, at least, you know, our writers are maybe trying to tell us this is the turning point. This is where Loki might is starting to go bad or maybe felt somewhat betrayed by Thor because like you were showing mercy and I had to kill him. And then of course, but you know, towards the end of the film, we see that Loki's become more closeted. He's kind of spending more time alone, honing his magical skills and kind of not wanting to almost be around Thor. I mean, Thor's like, you know, brother, let's go. You know, uh, father wants to see us. He's like, I'll come, I'll, I'll follow you later. Well, I'll be around later. And he's very much, I think I wonder whether it's, he's just been traumatized by what he's done, as in he's murdered somebody just like that and, you know, evaporated them. Granted, okay, Algrim was pretty much about to kill Odin, his his father. So he's like, I have to take revenge. But you wonder what effect that had on his psyche, because it's either either he's feeling, um, as I said, uh, regretful, or should we say... Um, he just is not happy with Thor at this moment because of him showing mercy, or it's simply that he's been so traumatized by the event. It's hard to say, but clearly it's by the end of this film, something has snapped when it comes to him. And it would have been nice to have had a follow-up movie to see where Loki was since that happened, but we're getting that kind of idea. So I wonder whether, whether it's a, it's a mixture of trauma and also kind of feeling, you know, kind of harboring negative, um, thoughts towards Thor. What did you make of that moment? I'm kind of with you on that. I agree with you on all points. You you see something stirring and festering, and he's either trying to come to terms with what he's done or realizing that he enjoyed it too much, if that makes any sense. Like Thor, he did it. He saw he had remorse immediately when he killed the two frost giants. Loki, he was still full of rage. And granted, he was holding the sword, so we can kind of contribute a little of that to the sword. 
but even afterwards, Thor's like, what have you done? He's like, I did what I had to do and so on and so forth. So he, it might be just the fact that he's realizing he's got a bit of a, a mean streak or whatever you want to call it in, in him. And he's just trying to justify what he's done. And it might be one of those almost like a weird PTSD where he's just like, he's in shock still. But he's internalizing it, and he he thinks the way he can get through it is sit there and play with his magic and try to distract him from it or strengthen it. Again, would be great if we had a second movie because then we can kind of see him turning to the dark side a little bit more and be like, oh, okay, this makes perfect sense. Yeah, and exactly and how that resentment towards his brother would grow because, as I mentioned before, he does seem maybe a little bit resentful towards Thor, maybe because because you haven't yet had that thing of Odin considering Thor the favorite son and Loki kind of lesser than. So it may just be that Loki in his mind feels resentful towards Thor because like, you should have killed the man who almost murdered our father and I had to do it. So that's maybe there's also that resentment on Loki's part towards his brother Thor that could be you know, as I said, one of those many things that add up and cause Loki to go to the dark side. But like you said, we don't have a follow-up movie. So all we, all we can do is make, conge- make conjectures when it comes to this particular situation and the aftermath of all of this. But, you know, from what we got, I do also agree that uh, our trio, Matt, Rick, and Tara did a great job of voicing these characters. And as we know, you know, Tara Strong has been in everything and anything when it comes to superhero animated stuff and beyond. As I mentioned, she is currently the voice for Miss Minutes on Loki. So that's a nice little, little connection there. Uh, so anything else on these three characters, Keith? No, I think we uh, we covered them pretty well. Alrighty, well, I guess then speaking of one trio, let's head to another one. Let's look at the Warriors Three, who end up, of course, being a part of Thor and Loki's quest. We have, of course, Alistair Abel as Fandral, Paul Dobson as Hogan, and Brent Chapman as Volstag. So, uh, what did you make of the Warriors Three? Um, good enough, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, every time we see them, they're generally very boisterous until we get to live action where you actually do see them fighting and holding their own. They're battling with Thor and Sif, you know, on one of the planets. So in here, it's very much the, the, we're going to tell tall tales of everything. You know, they go on the most basic of adventures and also it turns into like, we battled 4,000 blah, 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 blah things, insert monster here. And came out with barely our lives and you know meanwhile they show you what they're fighting you're like yeah you fought 10 guys and they were all you know broken legged and had one arm but hey it's still 20 guys they just have to be put them all together it's really 10 so for the types of characters that we are familiar with you know seeing them in other iterations other movies and everything they fit the perfect they they fit the part perfectly they were really just kind of there to set the story up You know, we open up with them uh, telling a big story of some tale of them going to Jotunheim to fight bears or wolves or something or other and frost giants. And they're weaving this great tale and Thor kind of comes in on it. And then flash forward to the end of the movie, they're telling a very similar tale and Thor jumps in and adds to it. So you can kind of see the friendship between the group and Thor kind of uh, blossoming and maturing because again, they do become good friends later on in life. This is just showing like the beginnings of that. 
the seeds of that friendship because they do become, you know, thick as thieves. They always have Thor's back. They're ready to, you know, jump to his side immediately if he calls for help. He's like, they're like, all right, we'll be there in a minute. And there's no hesitation when it comes to helping Thor. And this is, you know, kind of seeing how we got there. It's true, yes. And it's, it's interesting you brought up the fact of age not being a factor when it comes to Asgard, because these guys seem clearly older than Thor and Loki, even though later down the line, everybody almost seems the same age. I mean, yeah, these guys are an hour apart in age. <laughs> exactly, because later down the line, these guys pretty much look exactly the same as when Thor has reached full adulthood, if you will. They still look exactly the way you see them here. And yeah, I thought it was, because I guess these are kind of the guys to a certain extent that Thor looks up to because he hears these great tales. And once again, that whole sense of wonder and of wanting to kind of go on these great expeditions with, like the Warriors 3 and you know, battle all sorts of, of monsters and such. He very much, I think, looks up to them to a certain extent when it comes to that. They're almost his inspiration. And no, no surprise, he literally, he and Loki stow away on their ship. And of course, the horrible truth, if you will, is revealed where all they do is just spend some time at an inn, drink themselves stupid, and then come home. So while they're just, they might have a bar brawl, but even then, when the bar brawl starts, it almost seems like the Warriors 3 are not used to kind of doing that. They just sort of, just sort of sit there spend some time and like, okay, I think it's about time we can go back and, and make up another story to just wow everybody. But at the same time, you know, once, once, like you said, once push comes to shove and then the whole quest for the sword begins, then they, they do somewhat show their, their, their true colors. I thought it was curious how Fandral basically, uh, aggravated the entire female species of the world, if you will, to where the Valkyries use his effigy as target practice. So I'm like, wow, okay, Fandral definitely got around because, of course, when he's in Asgard, you see him obviously surrounded by these two lovely ladies, so he's quite the ladies' man. But you're like, wow, I wonder what he did to piss off like the whole Valkyrie nation and beyond to, to kind of uh, cause them to kind of make them their target. Um, other than that, I'm I guess you on know that one. See, it was <laughs> funny because he's like, "Well, how many did you piss off?" Well, let's just say their arrows tend to be shot at targets that look a lot like me. And I'm just thinking, like, bro, when, how, and the what? Like, so literally, all the Valkyries are Valkyries because of you. Way to be that guy! Like, you literally ruined an entire group of individuals. You think you yeah. would have learned a little bit? Nope, not even all. You're right, because in fact, we learned that Brunhilde, the leader of the Valkyries, once kind of had a thing with Fandral. And so like you said, probably the reason why they hate men so much is because of him. Because they're like, okay, Fandral is the poster child for why we hate men. And then, of course, you know, we get the whole explanation of that, of that later down the line. But I, I thought that was kind of hilarious that he has literally been around, you know, multiple realms. And all, like you said, these all Asgardian women who had to deal with Fandral's womanizing and like, screw this, I'm joining the Valkyries or maybe cause Brunhilde to start the Valkyries in the first place because men are terrible and we can't trust them. And so I'm going to uh, do my little group where it's just us women and uh, we just, just don't want guys around. So it's, uh, it would, it's, uh, I, that's kind of the feeling I got when it came to that. 
when it came to to Volstag and Hogan, I mean, Volstag, of course, is that kind of, you know, chummy, very sort of robust guy who just is, has fun doing whatever, I suppose. While Hogan seems the one who less happy to be around for the ride to him, to where he's kind of gotten tired, seems like he's gotten tired of doing this thing on a regular basis. And I believe he says as much when they're at the pub or at the inn, if you will. And he's like, you know, I think we're kind of, you know, we kind of stretched this out a little bit. It used to be fun. And now I, I don't really see the point anymore. Because maybe he actually wants to do some real fighting. And of course, he gets that chance because of our two young stowaways. But uh, I, I thought that was curious, not to mention when uh, Fandra and Volstagg are telling their tall tales, Hogan is kind of sort of just, yeah. No, there were about a million monsters that we fought because his heart is no longer in it anymore. And you do wonder for how long they've been doing this. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. You definitely see him getting bored of the, yay, we were, oh my God, I cannot believe all the monsters. Like you could just see, I picture him reading from a script. He's just, he's done it so many times. He said it and it's just like another day, another, let me tell you the same story 47 more times. And it's not until... Thor comes in and makes that comment about how many they were fighting that he's really like, yeah, we did. We fought stuff. And like, you see, you can tell he really misses that fight opposed to talking that he has, he has been fighting individuals. He wants to actually fight said individuals. He has that craving for battle or at least, you know, something a little more entertaining than let's go to the pub, drink and come home and tell a story. It's the, let's actually go do the thing we said we did. So, I, I can appreciate his boredom or tired or frustrated. Cause I mean, like any of us, we get to that point where we're just like, not this again. And he was very much at that point. He very much was. So I guess now, you know, the, 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 the spark has, has kind of been, been left there for him to kind of enjoy these adventures again, because I guess we can assume that after this first foray, the warriors three will actually be taking on real missions or real quests along with Thor and then we actually have these tales to tell which are actually true I mean heck we get to see Fandral taking out the real teeth from uh, from whatever creature it is to give to the young ladies the wolf for the bear it's I, I think remember. it's the I think it's the wolf I think I it think is think, yeah he's yeah, like oh yeah now I've got to take them out because this really happened you know I don't have to buy them at the store or something I can actually pour, yank these teeth out and give them to these ladies who seem to really really want these these trophies so He's super happy about that too. And I guess Volstag is pretty much always happy go lucky. So uh, you know, one one should be more like Volstag, I suppose, and just and just enjoy life. I think just go is the, drink. Exactly. You know, have a good time and enjoy your life. I, you know, I think if we were all more like Volstag, we probably would have much more pleasant lives, I I do think, anyways. Um, so I guess then moving on from our Warriors three. Let's get to our two groups that Thor pisses off amongst many. We have, of course, the Ice Giants and the Valkyries, where the prominent members are respectively Michael Dobson and John Novak as Geirmar and Thrym, and Katie Wesseluck as Brunhilde. So what did you make of the Ice Giants and the Valkyries? You know, I, I started with like, well, they, they weren't justified being mad. I mean, yes, the kids are trespassing. And even Odin's like, they were just trespassing. What's the big, you know, no harm, no foul. And you could kind of go like, all right, that's fair. And then he murders a couple of guys and you're like, well, all bets are off now, Skippy. You've just done it. You've killed a couple of frost giants. Like, I get why they're mad at you. It wasn't like you stepped on their flowers or you were walking on the grass. 
or some other weird, you know, silly, arbitrary thing. Like you literally murdered two of their people and there were two guards. So that's, you know, detrimental war. So I get, you know, the frost giants wanting to go to war and you and the king at the same time, you could see the king of the frost giants being a little hesitant, but at the same time, he knew it had to be done. So he's like, well, I don't want to do this, but since he did kill our people, we got to do this. And he goes and he, you know, gathers the troops and they go and invade Asgard. And the two of them have a very civil conversation because Odin and the King of the Frost Giants are like, we don't want to go down this, you know, rabbit hole again of murder and destruction. And even Odin's like, what do you want from me? Because I just want to squash this now because I'm too old for this shit. You know, it's like when your kids go to your neighbor and trample their grass or, you know, again, step on the flowers and ruin something. You're like, well, how much is this going to cost me to make it go away? And that was very much the vibe I got from Odin when he does that with, when he's talking to the frost giants, he's like, what do you need from me? Like what, what's going to make this go away? Cause again, I'm too tired. I'm too old. And this is stupid. It's two kids. And then, you know, he finds out that what actually happens and he realizes that, you know, Thor and Loki have really kind of, screwed the pooch as it were um the thing with the valkyries like just straight up hating thor and loki seemed a little um excessive considering this is probably the first time thor has literally met brunhilde and some of the other valkyries except for sif um the warriors three that's a different issue i 100 percent, i get that they've you know set that up we know why the women hate those three there's no like Nope, I cannot. I get it. You do not get a pass. Thor and Loki, you're kind of like, well, like, he is Thor's son. You probably shouldn't kill Thor's son. Or, I'm sorry, um, Thor's son. There you go. He's Odin's son. No pun intended. You probably shouldn't kill him because, you know, Odin will literally leave a crater if you do. So that seemed a little, you know, excessive and sort of like Loki pulling the sword and like holding it on the women. It's almost like a kid getting a small child picking up a firearm and pointing it at an adult. Doesn't really kind of grasp what he's holding, but he knows that the big people are afraid of it. And that was kind of the same vibe I got from this. So this was very much a a kid's misadventure gone horribly wrong. And even when uh, the Frost Giants do attack the Valkyries and Thor and Loki and the Warriors 3 jump to help defend them that's when you kind of see Brunhilde Brunhilde I can't say her name right now I apologize guys um kind of be like pause a little bit she's like all right you didn't have to help us even after we've captured you and tortured you and threatened to murder you still helped us so we'll cover your ass get the hell out of here because we know that they're here for you so it's nice to see that she even realizes the gravity of the situation and kind of you know, turns the cheek. Cause I feel like if this had played out long enough, she probably was not actually going to kill Thor. She was just trying to scare him enough to not do this again. Um, but you know, I, again, it was nice to see like how he pissed everybody off. It, it It's funny and not at the same time. And then when he does, when they do meet up with, um, what's his name? The dark elf and Algrim. Yeah. Algrim, you know, that was a nice, like, Oh, it's family reunion. That lasts, theoretically 2.5 seconds and then Algrim takes the sword and just obliterates everything just goes on the war path and starts murdering everybody but from his point of view he's justified 
in his mind because of all the crazy shit that's been ha- that happened to him and his people and his family and all of this stuff in his mind he is slightly deranged and this is all he's been able to think about for the last however many years he worked he served for Odin that he wants revenge on the frost giants and Odin because nobody saved him or his people and when he gets the sword which is kind of like that he was playing the long game he was really kind of pushing Thor to get this sword so he could get it from Thor which basically happens and then he goes on a murder rampage and just you know literally like I said starts killing everybody he has no qualms with killing Thor Loki the Warriors 3 anybody any Asgardians because in his mind they've all failed him and for all we know Thor could have been like five when this happened and had literally no no idea this was going on so the big battle with him and Odin even makes sense because again in his mind Odin failed him so a lot of the stuff it, it was great how it didn't feel like they were forcing the story along it happened very naturally you know Thor goes from this realm to this realm and screws this up screws this up and again screws XYZ up and that's how we get to the end of the movie it's not like all of a sudden they realize well shit we need to end the movie this was like a good progression and cadence in the story very well said indeed. I mean, uh, I was kind of um, scratching my head when it came to the Valkyries because it, it's a very different take to the Valkyries that I know in the sense that I, from what I know, at least from Norse mythology, is you know their job, if you will, is to kind of carry fallen warriors off to Valhalla and they are kind of part of Odin's army. Whereas here, they've got nothing to do with Odin, if you will, in the sense that they're their own little group. You uh, you rightfully mentioned almost like an Amazonian tribe that are is you know exclusively female, and they have a, a innate hatred for men. In fact, I think that's what they hold against Thor and Loki is their gender, as in they literally call them male, and that's and it's almost like you know you a, a man is not allowed almost to enter the um the realm of the valkyries you know no surprise thor shows up and all these beautiful women are happily bathing and stuff and like wow okay i can see probably why men aren't allowed here um as wonderful as it would be to visit a place like that but um i think that's that's what kind of gets uh brunhilde's brunhilde's panties in a knot is the fact that they are men and they are trespassing where maybe it's forbidden for all we know men are forbidden to to uh you know, enter the the Valkyrian realm, if you will. But it was kind of odd or odd, different. The fact that the Valkyries do not are not part of, should we say, the Asgardian army. They're kind of their own thing, and they mind their own business. And I guess that's what kind of Brunhilde set up is all these women who were let down by by men. You can become a Valkyrie, and you can be just as worth uh, as uh, without, even without a man, and be a great warrior, and so on. And kind of giving women the opportunity to fight, if you will. Even though I believe in the Asgardian army, we see women as well. But here it's maybe just like your man let you down. There's a place for you. Join the Valkyries, kind of thing. So um, they were cool to see, and uh, I, I very much got yeah that kind of vibe of uh, Themyscira, if you will, in the DC realm, where you have literally the Amazons. And the way they do things to where Brunhilde literally says men are good for only one thing. So we kind of figure out and, you know, I don't need to draw you a diagram, kids, to know what what Brunhilde is talking about. But uh, other than that, um, they were they were an interesting group 
and uh, you know definitely worthy warriors when it came to the frost giants i have to admit how in the hell do they move the king's throne that must be a heck of an undertaking to be moving that guy's throne from place to place unless he walks and they just create it at the moment oh okay hold on we'll create the throne <laughs> they just Sit down, forge right there is it not, I'm not if not all they do the classical thing kind of holding it on their shoulders and moving the king around i suppose I mean, they get around pretty fast though i mean i'm with you on that one I, you know they, they kind of like all right we need to rally the troops and go to asgard and it's not long after that they're in asgard so those suckers got to be strong as shit that's what I thought was kind of hilarious that right there, there's the king on his throne. I'm like, wow, okay, you guys move that from Jotunheim to Asgard. Kudos. My thought is, as I said, to just build it at the moment. Like, okay, sire, you can sit down, the throne's ready, you know, or something like that. But um, but I definitely agree with you. Um, the king of the frost giants is very much a wise king in the sense he's not as warmongery, if you will, as as Thrym who is very much all about, oh, they did us wrong. They must all die and so on. Whereas um, the king is much more uh, diplomatic. He's very much like Odin. And in fact, like you said, the two of them very much understand each other that this war doesn't really benefit anybody. And on, on the contrary, so many innocents will die because of young Thor making a mess. And so he's kind of loath to, to actually doing anything war-wise and that's why they kind of come to the agreement of if you give us Surtur's sword, you know, we're good. We'll go back home and life will be gravy. My other question, though, is if they were so hell bent on the sword, why did they leave it in the bloody mountain? Couldn't they have just taken it? Or they're like, OK, it's there in the mountain. Nobody will touch it. Yeah, I have no idea. I was kind of with you on that one. Like, if you knew the sword was there, why did you not like post guards or literally anything or get it yourself? Um, I guess they figured that, you know, whatever the truce was between Odin and himself, that the adults were going to leave it alone. But since the kids, just like, you know, like anything, parents don't always tell their kids all the, you know, the details. You know, for all we know, that could have been a stipulation of the treaty was like, all right, cool. We won't attack each other. We'll leave the sword there and we're done. We're cool end of story and that's it and we're just going to spit it into a tail and nobody's going to bother with it and it's because of that whole you know the, um, planting the seed in Thor's head like oh you need to go do this thing and go get the sword and kind of kick him in the pants that he just disregards all of that because he's being a stubborn child that he goes and steals the sword but yes I, I'm kind of with you like if you knew this uber powerful weapon is just like chilling on your front porch put it away you know put guards anything literally it was just hanging there in the ceiling like an ornament on a christmas tree <laughs> that's what i kind of thought was like they already had it there what was the point you know or at least or, or let the king keep it under lock and key if it's so dangerous rather than just leave it there because but like you said they're probably thinking maybe um you know they'll just leave it there and you know the, the two kings agree that it's going to just stay there locked in the mountain and nobody will bother with it. So unless, you know, some random guy, a.k.a. Thor, comes along and takes it. But yeah, you would have expected, like you said, it being such a dangerous weapon uh, and not to mention such a point of contention, it would have been better guarded, not just left there in, you know, in the ice. But 
Okay, fair enough. Um, and speaking actually of uh, when it came to the Frost Giants and you know the two guards being killed, I did appreciate the fact it shows you, I think, also th Thor on a moral level that he really feels bad about it. Because you, know, you mentioned the fact of how Loki felt when he killed Olgrim. Thor is literally crestfallen and then so upset that he's killed people because he didn't mean for it to happen. Like you said, he's handling a weapon that even he does not understand or knows how to control. He's just like, back off and boom, jet of flame and our two giants are dead. But the way he handles it shows you what he has a good heart and he's not like those bloody frost giants. I will destroy them all. And I think also the sword itself is a character. It kind of reminds me almost of the of the One Ring, where it will corrupt you if you use it too long. But maybe if you have a pure heart, it won't overcome you. And that's why maybe it doesn't change Thor to where when he's wielding it, he doesn't feel like I will now become king and I will do all these amazing things and murder everybody who's done Asgard wrong. He doesn't do that. So I think it also illustrates that he is a good person, whereas Loki using it might have also corrupted his soul, kind of like the One Ring, so that, that if there is evil inside you, the sword will coax it out, and it almost becomes that drug which makes you want to do bad things. Maybe. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but I think that might be the case. Maybe also with Olgrim, which we'll be talking about here shortly, but that's what it felt like to me. I mean, did you get that vibe that the sword kind of has should we say a mind of its own? Yeah, that, that's a good uh, analogy of it being like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where if you're pure, it does corrupt you eventually, assuming you know you can um, overpower its persuasion. Which it seems like it's more of like a persuasion, like it whispers in your ear, like, and you're just like, no, I can't listen to that evil voice in my head. Where Loki, since he has that mischievous this to him where it's like he's like okay that's a great idea and just, you know falls off and murders somebody he doesn't seem as remorseful like he seems troubled but not remorseful and I think that's where we see the difference where you know Thor literally he murders them by accident because he doesn't have full control of the sword and then he's like oh my god what have I done and then like from that point forward he's really really hesitant to use it where Loki's quick to pick it up and quick to, you know, kill him and all this other stuff. So it does, I, I think, lend itself to that Lord of the Rings mythos. Now, at least that's that's kind of the vibe I got seeing the yeah. folk, whoever wielded it, see they seem to become it, it almost makes me think of like the super soldier serum. Good becomes great, bad becomes worse kind Correct. of situation. So uh, you know, kind of like Captain America and Red Skull. So uh, so there you go. So I guess then uh, we can round off our characters then by looking at the All-Father and our ultimate villain of the movie. We have Chris Britton as Odin and Ron Holder as Olgrim. So, Keith, I know you uh, expressed some thoughts on Olgrim. Um, what did you make of Odin? Um, very much a stereotype. And what I mean by that is he's the overprotective father, like you said um, earlier in the recording, where it's very much like a Disney princess type of setup where he's the father being overprotective with his, his child, in this case, the prince, and he doesn't want to expose them to the outside world, which, again, very much like every other Disney princess movie or any other 
um, princess type movie, Little Mermaid, and so on and so forth. I swear, if he broke in the song, I would have died. And very much like Beauty and the Beast. Like I would be like, all right, I'm out, I'm done, cool. Thor singing. Um, not that that was a, a bad way, because you know Odin does step up when he has to, and he does you know go to battle when again he has to. When push comes to shove, he will do the right thing. Is just um, he's very much a naive father because. Again, this is his "quote unquote" first child or first children, because you know Hela is not a thing in this universe. Um, so, I think for the most part, he does very much the stereotypical king father whateverness and does step up when he has to. Uh, with the other one, you see him on screen. He steps on the screen. You're like, he's going to be a bad guy. You just know because he's a dark elf, he's going to be the bad guy. Because why? Dark elves are not a thing in the Thor universe. They're either all dead or all banished to some other realm. There's a reason for that. They're not happy people. <laughs> so when you see him and he's like always very much like, you know, my people were killed. There's this happened to my people. Even when they're, he's over in Jotunheim with the search party, you can kind of see... The, the rumblings of bitterness and jadedness toward the frost giant and even, you know, Odin himself. So when he does, you know, make the turn, which again, all of us saw coming, it wasn't a big surprise. And just even his dialogue, which cracks me up that you mentioned Lord of the Rings turns into very much like Smeagol where he's got the multiple personalities. He has the, I don't have the sort of personality where he's like, Hey friends, how's it going? And then he gets the sword and he's like, My precious kill everybody with my precious. And then you're like, holy shit, what that happened? You know, like, where'd that come from? So it was very, you know, while predictable and, and you know, telegraphed a mile away, it was still done very well. And then I, I do like the fact that, you know, Odin does get, you know, very mortally wounded. This is where he loses his eye, gets really jacked up. And Thor and Loki have to come and save him. They do have to bail their father out. So he was even kind of, you know, um, blindsided by this because he had expected this to, you know, not to happen. And the fact that even the Frost Giant King goes to Thor, he's like, I, I told him not to, you know, let him be his servant. You know, I warned him about this, but he didn't want to listen. So it even shows that Odin, in his infinite wisdom, is a little arrogant and full of himself as well. So nobody is perfect in this. And, you know, to piggyback off that thought, Odin himself is definitely not perfect at all because when we learn about the kind of way he treated the Dark Elves and uh, the Frost Giants, like maybe he's not as benevolent and as good of a guy as we think in the sense that, you know, he has had to go through his own mistakes to become who he is today. I mean, granted, we don't know how many centuries or years ago the whole frost giant dark elf uh, as guardian thing happened. But the fact that, uh, you know, Olgrim says, my people came to Asgard and they did not help us. Because I guess from what I've gathered, at least from the history of this war, is that the, the dark elves were at war with Jotunheim and 
that, you know, so maybe they were being oppressed by them. And the Dark Elves went to Asgard saying, help us, help us. And no one was like, no. And so they, they had to do their own fighting. And basically they were all destroyed. And Olgrim was the, the sole survivor of his people. And maybe that's then that Odin was like, oh, I guess everybody's murdered. I'll come and help you. <laughs> but, uh, maybe that was the case. It's hard to say. And that's me when Olgrim was like, like you, you mentioned, I will bide my time. I won't forget this, but I will ingratiate myself to Odin, be his advisor. And then when I ha when the, the moment is right, I will have my revenge. So I can't, like you, I kind of can't blame Olgrim from where he's coming from, because if this is the case, that um, Odin did, Asgard did not come to the Dark Elves' aid and just allowed them to be slaughtered. I cannot blame Olgrim for feeling resentful towards towards Asgard and in particular Odin. And maybe I guess Odin tried to make amends by, I guess, giving Olgrim a job. I mean, granted, that is not great compensation for almost genocide of the Dark Elves. It's maybe like, okay, I screwed up big time. Olgrim, come here. You'll be my main man and we'll say no more about it. Maybe that was the case because it, it's hard to say. You might even wonder whether Olgrim is, you know, maybe you can't trust him when it comes to what he's saying because it could be the swords talking and maybe saying to him, you know, they killed your people. But the fact that, like you said, he's kind of always in the shadows and it's kind of maybe possibly pushing Thor in that direction of getting the sword. Maybe things did happen the way Olgrim says, and he's not an unreliable narrator. It's hard to say because we never get that flashback. And so we don't know how things played out. We only have Olgrim's word for it. But the way he's acting, it might very well have ended that way. It's hard to say, but that's why maybe Odin now is like, I don't want to go to war because bad things happen like the Dark Elf genocide. And that's why I don't want to go to war with anybody. And I have this understanding with the King of the Frost Giants. Maybe the King of the Frost Giants, same thing. Oh, I committed genocide. Sorry, no more war. <laughs> I don't know. But um, it, it, it was a curious kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, Odin, Odin is shocked that Olgrim wants to murder him. I'm like, dude, you can't really blame the guy. Yes, he, he shouldn't be murdering you either. But I kind of can't blame where Olgrim is coming from. But I, just like you said, as soon as he was on screen, I'm like, Dark Elf, must I trust this guy? Mm, probably not. So it, uh, it was no surprise that by the end of all of this, he turned out to be our big bad, if you will, and uh, of course met his grisly end the way he did. I mean, do you think that uh, maybe things did play out the way Olgrim said, or that maybe he is an unreliable narrator? It may, the end of that may have played out close to what he said but at the same time Odin even makes that comment and is like well you tried to court Cerderus and you brought him to your world you know you brought him into this so there's some other aspect of this story that we're not aware of because Cerderus was in Jotunheim so he was there for a reason the Dark Elves were there for a reason and the Frost Giants were there for a reason so it wasn't like it was just like an arbitrary Tuesday and somebody was going to blow somebody else up. There had, there was some catalyst that brought this all to a head. And when the dark elves realized that they were not going to win or they were, you know, whatever about to be slaughtered, that's when they went to Odin and Odin was still very like, you know, I, I th this is not my war. Um, you guys try to, you know, you do with the, the best you guys can. 
And then once they called in Cerderus, he's like, well, now I have to get involved because I have to now take care of this because if Cerderus isn't slayed or taken care of, he could technically, you know, he could potentially destroy all nine realms. So they opened this can of worms or Pandora's box and he had to seal it. So should he have gotten involved sooner? Potentially, but at the same time, he may have thought that this was going to uh, iron itself out and he wasn't going to wasn't needed unfortunately clearly did not and all the dark elves get slaughtered because he is he thinks he's the last one and for all we know he was the last elf dark elf and loki kills him so there's been a complete genocide of the dark elves indeed there has and i love the fact that we're talking like politics within the marvel universe i think it's fantastic. we're being really subtle about this it's, you know we're if Everybody can just read between the lines here, kids. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like, it almost seems like we're, we're reviewing an episode of Game of Thrones with the kind right. of all the politics and the infighting and everything else. But I mean, that's what, that was, was kind of fascinating to me. It's like, I would like to know more about this and I would like to know who started it. What was the catalyst? Why is, you know, why are things the way they are? But of course, we're likely never going to get that. So we just kind of, I guess, have to... Uh, make our own make our own thoughts up and minds up and conjectures once again about how things played out and whether we believe Olgrim or not when it comes to uh, the way he's telling he's telling the story but i think you might very well be right that odin kind of stepped in because serta was becoming a big problem it kind of reminds me a bit of world war ii if you will when the u.s yeah, were like right? no we're not we're not going to get involved then this chap hitler is de is devouring half of europe like yeah, I think we might we might as well get involved too because this could be a problem. So that's 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 kind of what it made me think of, if you will. But uh, yeah, the, the the political side of things I personally found rather fascinating, rather interesting. So it did keep the whole thing kind of hanging on. Made me want to, as I said, go back and it's like, is there a history of Asgard? How did this happen? You know, I want to know more about the history of the Nine Realms. So. I did like that aspect of the movie, and I think both uh, Chris Britton and Ron Holder did a great job playing these characters. It definitely made them very, um, you know, inter fun to watch and interesting to watch. And I'm um, like, you know, hopefully Odin will be okay. We'd learn he loses an eye, so I guess after that he'll be all right, and hopefully he'll give Thor more a leeway and realize that, yeah, I can't keep my kid hidden behind these walls. I kind of have to let him, you know, loosen the leash a little bit so that he can experience real-world things and maybe not uh, you know, piss everybody off and cause problems. Or maybe sit him down saying, son, if you go out there, these are the kind of do's and don'ts when it comes to the Nine Realms. So had maybe he instructed Thor better, maybe none of this would have happened. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. Right, I mean, I'm with to... you. You could take it one of two ways. He's either going to have to give him the, the big boy talk where... Don't don't go pissing somebody's Cheerios because this is what's going to happen. Or you know, here go off into the world and make your own mistakes and figure shit out. It's kind of like I could see going one of two ways because again, he's so young he hasn't gotten his axe or his hammer. And for those of you kids who figured out, he gets an axe before the hammer. Spoilers. Um, so he's not even at that point in his long lifespan. So. Dad might be like, all right, it's time to expose you to the other races, the other species, and just, you know, everything else that's going on so this doesn't happen again. 
Very well said indeed. So um, I guess, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to to mention when it came to this particular movie, Keith, before we got to ratings? Uh, no, sir, I do not. All righty. Yeah, I, I kind of said my piece too. I'm kind of, I, I will be honest, part of me is a little bit sad and feels a little bit bereft that we don't have any more Marvel animated movies to talk about. Hopefully, mm-hmm. either either Disney will will reintroduce those and give us a whole new batch, or maybe you know Lionsgate might decide to to do something. Or uh, Lionsgate and Disney come to an agreement. It's like okay, we'll do some more. But uh, um, it's a, it's kind of a shame that this was the last one. So uh, I you know it was it was by and large a fun journey to to review these. But it's a shame that we won't get any more Marvel ones. We'll be focusing on the DC ones, of course. But uh, I kind of feel a little bit sad that this was our last one. How, how about you? Yeah, I, there, there's so much. Again, I'm going to use this analogy. There's so much meat left on this bone that there's so many stories in the Marvel Universe. There are literally decades and decades of stories. And there are, you know, beyond a ridiculous number of characters and universes and everything that they, they could tap into they could literally have a series on you know just like you said the thor adventures a young thor and since he literally lives to like the end of time this could go on forever um and same thing with you know um, ant-man or cap or some of the other random characters we don't really know about i know they've tried tv shows but i think you know there's enough um stuff in the universe you know we haven't really seen a good fantastic four or anything like that would be a good story so i'm very disappointed they have not you know done any more animated movies because you know it's cheaper than live action oh yeah and you can definitely probably do more when it comes to like the special effects and everything else and you know use do the most insane things especially even now with today's technology because as i mentioned this movie came out in 2011 so, uh, so you know, uh, having that, you know, like twelve years later, you know, you can do so much, even more than you could back then. So it's a shame, but I guess we'll we'll see as things as things progress if they do decide to come out with animated movies. I mean, at the moment, the only animated thing we have, I guess, is um, what if is the only, but that's also a TV show. It's not a movie, but we shall see, I suppose. So um, we're getting to ratings then. What do you give Thor Tales of Asgard out of 10? I'm, I'm going to have to give it a solid 7. I think this was a good starting point, and there was a lot of, you know, a lot left on the table they could have, you know, tapped into. Again, the, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and so on and so forth, and eventually got us to present-day Thor. So I think they, they really missed a great opportunity with this character. And I don't say that very often with a lot of these uh, Lionsgate movies, but this is definitely a good starting point, and I wish they had continued on. I'm right there with you. I'm also going to give this a 7 out of 10. As, as I mentioned before, there were quite a few things I did enjoy when it came to this one. Like I said, the whole lore behind everything, it kind of re-sparked that interest that I had for Norse mythology and kind of made me want to go down that rabbit hole again, revisit those wonderful tales. I mean, I've always been a mythology buff, and but it's been a while since I've uh, literally gone into them. I might actually revisit them, and that might actually play into my recommendations today, folks. So, uh, so stick around when it comes to that. So, it is a seven out of ten for me. So, getting to recommendations, and Keith, what do you, uh, what would you like to recommend to our listeners this week? Um, I definitely think they should check out the new Immortal Thor. Um, they're starting to kind of 
reach back even to Thor before he became, you know, uh, who he is today. And it seems like they're going to kind of dig into his origin a lot more. Yes, we we kind of have the origin, but there's even like Elder God Thor that nobody's known about. So I think that would be a great, and they're only on issue number two. So that's a good starting point. And you don't necessarily need to like know all 800,000 issues of Thor prior to this. It's kind of a good um, jumping off point for a lot of people. If you like this movie, I would definitely check out um, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, a TV show that was on for a couple of seasons. Um, they've had a couple of spinoffs from there. And um, I, I think that's another one of these same kind of drawing style, same art style, same type of story writing. Um, there's also uh, Avengers Assembles, another cartoon. So if you're really on an animated kick like I tend to get on from time to time, those are the few I would probably recommend for you. Fantastic stuff indeed. I definitely uh, agree with those those recommendations for sure. When it comes to me, folks, I mentioned wanting to dive into Norse mythology. Well, if you want to be like me and what I'm kind of doing now is check out Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. This book basically is a playful retelling of ancient northern stories about the creation of the world and of other pressing matters featuring Odin, Thor, the not-so-bright god with the hammer, and of course Loki, the god who makes all the trouble. So if you want a, a more of a, less, shall we say, dry telling of the of Norse mythology, check out Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. It's definitely, it's, it's a great read. If you know Neil Gaiman, he's a, he's a, he's a great writer. He always does a great job with all his stories, no matter what they are. So that's what I've, I'm actually revisiting now. I'm actually listening to the audiobook narrated by Neil himself and having a blast doing that. So it's great to to meet up with these old characters again. It's been it's been a while since since I did that. So that's my recommendation for this week. So, of course, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness, or you can follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or at High Darkness Pod. Finally, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating review as this helps the show grow and, of course, allows us to reach even more like-minded ears like yourself. So keep that algorithm stimulated, kids. So uh, when it comes to you, Keith, when you're not here discussing superhero movies with yours truly, where can folks find you? Um, I know this is going to be a huge stretch for everybody, but they can find me on another podcast called the hour of comics is upon us and shocking. I talk about comic books. I know completely outside of my wheelhouse and I have very little knowledge about it, but I do it anyway. It's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. Um, it's with two of our mutual friends, John Seymour and Jason Gurren. Um, we just recorded a couple episodes last week and DJ Nick, you're on one of them. I know you had a, a blast reviewing the mask with us. I um, did. We, ha we have a couple more in the pipeline. I know Nick spoilers. Did you like it or did you not? <laughs> I certainly had a I had a fun time indeed. Yes. Always love them. Yeah. And you know, I'm also on our Facebook page and you can definitely check me out there. Drop us a line message, whatever smoke signal ESP, whatever. 
Very, very nice indeed. And yes, I will strongly recommend The Hour of Comics is Upon Us, folks. As, as I mentioned before, I thoroughly enjoy listening to, to Keith, Jason, and John. They always do a great job. And they always have a great uh, group of uh, guests coming on. I'm not, not counting myself. Other folks, of course, who, who have been on there, and they, they always have very lively conversations. So it's always very, very entertaining indeed. When it comes to me, for you uh, country music lovers, I can be found on the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more information about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Also, podcast-wise, you can check out Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend are reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture in chronological order. Next week, we will be reviewing Spotlight, which is quite the movie indeed, and I'm sure it's going to spark many a conversation for sure. And last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone, where we're currently reviewing the second season of Loki. Speaking, of course, once again, of these Norse gods. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be heading over to DC territory as we'll be taking on the 2008 Dave Bullock film, Justice League, The New Frontier. So, uh, Keith, anything else you would like to add on either our upcoming movie or anything else before we sign off? Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to The New Frontier. It's been a while since I've watched that one. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's... I have way back when. Exactly. You're with me. It's a nice retro dig, and I, I can't wait to review it. Exactly. Indeed. I'm looking forward to finding out all about the center once again. It's been a while, but I, I think we're going to have a fun time doing that. So, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We'll see you next time with Justice League, The New Frontier. Until then, thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Stay super. Ciao, my people. <laughs>